there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. On Easter Sunday, April 5th, 1722, a small patch of land emerged on the horizon in front of a boat sponsored by the Dutch West India Company. The boat, headed by 63-year-old Jacob Rohavain, was on a mission to find the mythical Terra Australis, a land supposedly so vast it encompassed Antarctica. But after 1,500 miles at sea, they stumbled across a little island, much smaller than the rumored Terra Australis, but much more extraordinary. Because as they approached the island, they quickly realized that this was not a barren, uninhabited patch of land in the middle of the ocean. Rather, it was populated with a rich culture and hundreds of large stone statues. Though the sailors may not have known it then, the island they landed on that fateful Easter Sunday would become a benchmark of cultural history. It would introduce a cornucopia of secrets and mysteries whose answers were lost to time. And it would change our understanding of human civilization forever. In life, there is so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This is our first episode on Easter Island, the island in the Pacific Ocean with hundreds of mysteriously large heads built by a culture of Polynesians called the Rapa Nui. In this first episode, we'll explore the little we know about the history of Easter Island. In our second episode, we will try to answer that history's greatest mysteries, mysteries that have confounded historians for generations. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Sitting remotely in the Pacific Ocean is an island not quite like other islands. 
That island has come to be known as Easter Island, named after the day it was found by Dutch sailors. At 64 square miles, Easter Island is relatively tiny. To give a comparison, Los Angeles is over 450 square miles. It is also incredibly remote. The nearest continental country, Chile, is over 2,000 miles away. To this day, it is considered the most remote populated place in the world. Somehow, over 1,300 years ago, a group of ancient sailors discovered this tiny island, literally in the middle of nowhere. But their most impressive accomplishment might be the 900 mysterious stone structures, marvels of early engineering, spread throughout Easter Island. You've seen pictures. They're giant heads. They soar to an average 20 feet and can weigh over 20 tons. The largest Moai weighs a whopping 82 tons. Made of solidified volcanic ash from the Rano Raraku volcano, the Moai were chiseled into a relatively flat plain. They boast huge faces and emphasize the head over the body. With heavy brows and elongated noses, they seem to be looking down at the mere humans below them. The nostrils curl, the lips pout, and the ears are elongated like the very head itself. The jawlines are strong and stand out from the neck of the figures. Their bodies, uncovered by archaeological excavations, are stocky and heavy, with arms carved into the bodies of the statues. Hands fall to the hips. Though their eyes now are simple sockets, they once held coral to give the statues a more colorful nature. Many Moai statues rest on the ahu, or shrine. Ahus were structures with a raised platform of stone, a ramp called a poro, and a leveled-off front. The ahu vary in form. Some have images, or moai, which are familiar to us as the heads. There are over 360 ahus on the island today. Moving the 20-ton moai statues to these shrines was a phenomenal feat of engineering, especially for a Stone Age culture. How could such an isolated culture, completely alone in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, achieve such impressive and strange accomplishments? Theories about the habitation and evolution of this island range from the absurd to the thought-provoking. But, despite centuries of study and intrigue, the fundamental questions remain. Who settled on Easter Island? Where did they come from? And why were they so dedicated to building these imposing statues of faces? The story behind the mysteries of Easter Island is an unusual one. It is soaked in myth and obstructed by those who knew not to take great care with significant pieces of history. And just when the answers seem tantalizingly close, they're pulled away. The island was not originally called Easter Island. Initially, the name of the island was Tepito Ote Henua, the center of the world, and the inhabitants were early Polynesians known as the Rapa Nui. Excavations of Easter Island show us three cultural phases. The early period, which lasted from 700 to 850 AD, 
the Middle Period, from 1050 to 1500, and the Late Period, which was after 1500 until European contact in 1722. The very arrival of the Rapa Nui on Easter Island, which begins the early period, is subject to some confusion. There is even some speculation that the original Rapa Nui came from just one family. The generally accepted theory is that they set sail using sophisticated canoes sometime around 700 AD from larger Polynesian islands. However, some scientists estimate that the first settlers arrived at Easter Island as early as 300 AD. It still astounds researchers that almost 1,500 years ago, long before the European age of exploration in the early 15th century, a Stone Age culture could craft seafaring boats and sail into the complete unknown. There were no maps, no cartographers. All the Rapa Nui had to go on were legends. But they still managed to find a tiny island in the middle of a huge ocean. And why the Rapa Nui set sail for a new island in the first place has not been satisfactorily answered. To answer that question, we turn instead to the myths of the Rapa Nui people. Partially because the island is so isolated, and partially because their written language, which was based on a series of glyphs, was decimated by the arrival of the Europeans in the 1700s, we only have oral legends and myths to help us understand the Rapa Nui. These oral legends also give us hints about the history of the people of Easter Island. One of the Rapa Nui legends suggests how they got to the island with one of their Moai sculptures. If the legend has truth to it, that would mean the large heads we associate with Easter Island were brought with them from some other place. This means they could predate the culture who colonized the island itself. According to the story of Hotu Matua and the Seven Explorers, one of the Rapa Nui's legends, the king Hotu Matua dreamt that his island, Hiva, would sink into the sea, so he sent explorers to find a new land for his people. The Seven Explorers found an island they believed would be fertile enough to farm. They brought sweet potatoes to test the soil's fertility and a moai, which they left. Notably, the oldest known moai are small sculptures with round heads and arms that crossed in front of the chest. This style is actually very similar to statues that were found on other Polynesian islands, such as Tahiti. The explorers planted the sweet potatoes and erected the moai, then set off to return to tell Hotumatua of their find, save one sailor who stayed behind. Hotumatua set sail in two ships and, according to legend, brought with him 67 tablets, each one bearing one of the 67 Maori wisdoms. Those tablets of Maori wisdoms, each of which detailed important knowledge, such as sailing and astronomy, have never been found. The Maori are the indigenous Polynesians of New Zealand. The mention of their wisdoms in the Hotumatua myth gives credence to a theory that the Rapa Nui are related to the New Zealand Polynesians. And although we now have DNA evidence that the Rapa Nui are Polynesian, before the advent of those tests, this story was frequently used to support the belief 
that the ethnicity of the Rapa Nui was Polynesian. The ancient Polynesians were an incredible seafaring people. Their origins started in Taiwan from 3000 to 1000 BC when they spread southward by sea into the islands of Southeast Asia until they reached the islands of Fiji, Samoa, and Tonga around 3000 years ago. It was on these islands where Polynesian culture started to branch away from the rest of Southeast Asia, and their skills in navigation began to truly flourish. The ancient Polynesians used highly sophisticated methods to cross the ocean. This included using the stars, ocean currents, wind patterns, bird flight, and interference in the oceans. By mastering these techniques with incredibly careful and detailed observation, the ancient Polynesians were able to cross thousands of miles and populated many distant lands. These lands included New Zealand, Hawaii, the Marquesas Islands, and of course, Easter Island. Which begs the question of why, if these legendary seafarers were truly the first to reach Easter Island, did they not have any boats? And why did they choose to stay on such a remote and relatively limited island? In short, what was so special about Easter Island that made the Rapa Nui remain for over a millennia and destroy the only chance they had to leave? But if we recall the legend of Hotumatua, when he first came to the island, he brought sweet potatoes with him. But sweet potatoes aren't native to Polynesia. Sweet potatoes originated in South America. This calls that into question. Could the Rapa Nui be, in fact, South American? Or perhaps did more than one culture land on Easter Island? There may be some truth to this myth. It's generally accepted that there was some vegetation on the island when the Rapa Nui arrived, and there's been speculation that perhaps another culture actually lived on the island even before the Rapa Nui arrived. The Hotumatua myth would lend credence to those theories. Some even go as far to say the seven explorers represent the tribes who were already there. Well, regardless of whether or not the island was inhabited when Hotumatua found it, it is commonly believed that he began colonizing the island at Anakina, a long white sand beach. Excavations there show it contains the best collection of standing moai and the oldest artifacts of that time period. The island the Polynesians discovered was lush with vegetation and palm trees, a paradise that would attract any to its shores. As the Rapa Nui began building their earliest homes on their new island, they created them in a strange elliptical shape, a shape that has led some to wonder if the inhabitants of Easter Island were of this world. Of course, it is far more likely that the first homes were actually made out of the Rapa Nui's sophisticated outrigger canoes, which they had simply turned upside down. These were likely large double-hulled canoes designed to withstand long sea voyages. As the Rapa Nui settled on the island in 700 AD, they began building more permanent dwellings of reeds and making stone tools. They planted their sweet potatoes. They started building their shrines. Their population numbers grew and grew. Little is known about the early period at Rapa Nui. 
We do not know how many expeditions came to Easter Island, whether it was used as a permanent dwelling or a launching point for further exploration. But we do know when the early period ended. Around 1000 AD, evidence suggests that the Rapa Nui began employing an intense method of cultivation. They cleared forests of palm trees in order to make room for a budding civilization. They began to make moai at a relentless pace. And pointedly, they began to write, as made clear by the many wooden and stone tablets they created. These tablets, which were desecrated by European intervention, carry a host of mysterious symbols, symbols whose meaning has been lost to time. Because we cannot decipher these tablets, the host of knowledge they contain is still unattainable to us. Could, as many suggest, these tablets contain the answer to many of the great mysteries of Easter Island? We'll return to our story in just a moment. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now the story continues. As the Rapa Nui settled Easter Island somewhere around 700 AD, they put in place the basic foundations for the culture Europeans would discover nearly a thousand years later. By 1000 AD, the Rapa Nui had put in place intensive farming practices and began ferociously building their famous Moai statues. Perhaps the pinnacle and most underrated points of this culture was its ability to write. In particular, the Rapa Nui had many wooden or stone tablets with glyphs carved onto them. These were called the Kahau Rongo Rongo, or Rongo Rongo Scriptures. It's estimated the tablets were written around 1200 AD, right as the Rapa Nui were beginning to thrive. These glyphs have never been deciphered and doubtlessly hold countless clues about the Rapa Nui. The knowledge of science they once held, the way they got to Easter Island, and possibly even how they built the Moai. The most common translation of Kahau is, quote, wood for making a canoe's hull, and Rongo Rongo means great study, which means Kahau Rongo Rongo means recitation wood. Some believe the Rongo Rongo tablets to be the 67 tablets of the Hotu Matua legend, the 67 ancient wisdoms committed to writing. But no other writing like it exists in any other Polynesian culture, which makes the glyphs impossible to translate. The lack of writing in other Polynesian cultures is a mystery of its own. If it's generally accepted that the Rapa Nui are of Polynesian descent, why is their writing so different? Could this culture have developed the written language completely independently? If so, that would be an incredible accomplishment. 
The invention of writing has only happened two, possibly three times in the history of humanity. Sumeria, Mesoamerica, and potentially China. Could the Rapa Nui have developed writing in another one of these incredible leaps for mankind? As population increased and culture developed during the Middle Period, different clans formed across the island. One such clan was the Hanau Epe, which translates incorrectly to long ears. It really means stocky. And another, the Hanau Momoko. The Momoko did not practice ear elongation, where weights are inserted into the earlobes to pull them down. The name, therefore, became known as short ear. Some believe the Hanau Epe may have been of a higher social status. Others believe that the Epe were completely ethnically different, and there is absolutely no scholarly consensus. One theory is that the Rapa Nui people themselves are not Polynesian, or at least not exclusively so, citing the Hotumatua myth in which Hotumatua landed on an evidently discovered and colonized island, some people wonder if South Americans had also discovered Easter Island. It seems far-fetched that two completely independent groups of people discovered the same tiny island in the middle of an enormous ocean. But stranger things have happened. Some have pointed out that these two clans may actually be the real versions of a myth passed down by the Rapa Nui. In it, they cite two different ethnic tribes living together on the island. In some versions of the myth of the two clans, the Epe arrived after Hotumatua and tried to enslave his people. In those myths, it is also the Hanau Epe who introduced stone carving. In other versions, the Hanau Epe were Hotumatua's people. In either variant, however, there is always one male survivor of the violent conflict between the two groups. His life alone was spared. He took a wife of the other tribe, and they had many descendants, the mixed children whom, so the theory goes, Europeans were to find years later. During the Middle Period, which was from 1050 to 1500, the technique used for making the moai was made more intricate. This makes sense. As a culture develops and finds more resources, they have more time to dedicate to refining their previous work. The statues became taller, more stylized, and sophisticated. They also carved moai out of material other than the volcanic tuff. A few moai made of basalt, a harder volcanic rock than the earlier moai were made with, remain today. As time went on, the Rapa Nui also carved more and more intricate designs into the backs of the moai statues. The years 1200 to 1500 were the most prominent years of Moai building, and it represented a connection with the ancient Polynesian tradition of worshipping ancestors. The fundamental traditions of this ancestor cult stem back to 700 AD, when the Rapa Nui founded Easter Island. However, its influence is best seen during the Middle Period, when Moai building really began to come to fruition. It was during this time that the ancestor cult evolved and became personalized by the Rapa Nui. The Rapa Nui believed that the deceased retained the ability to influence the world around them, and there was great reverence placed on the dead. 
The dead essentially provided everything the living needed. Fertile fields, food, good weather, and help. Worshipping the dead in such a way explains why the Rapa Nui so vigorously built the Moai statues. The Moai from the Middle Period also included burial chambers and the semi-pyramidal shrines called Ahu. The appearance of these chambers and Ahus lends credence to the Moai being part of that ancestor cult. During this time, the Rapa Nui had very specific burial rites. The deceased were wrapped in vegetable cloth and exposed to the air to speed decay. The bones were then washed, gathered, and bundled into Totora, which is a type of reed. The bundled bones were then placed in the ahu, or shrines, directly on the floor. It is possible several individuals were included in each ahu. The entrance was then closed with beach cobbles. Archaeological records reveal that no grave goods have been found with these burials, though it seems the Rapa Nui did scatter pieces of red scoria, which is a type of frothy lava that was also used in the Moai sculptures, and white coral. Some of the Ahu shrines on the island stand alone, but several also have Moai sculptures on top of them. The head sculptures were built in the Ranuraraku quarry, then brought to their ahus. The Rapa Nui believed that the Moai obtained mana, or power, once the eyes and pukau, a type of hat, were placed on the Moai. Using this mana, the Moai were then said to be able to protect the villages of the Rapa Nui. This is why, unlike some popular depictions of Easter Island, all the Moai are faced inwards toward the island and not outward towards the sea. How the Rapa Nui moved the enormous Moai around the island has been the subject of much debate. It is this feat of engineering that gives rise to wild theories about aliens. After all, how could a Stone Age culture create such enormous monoliths and subsequently transport them all over a 63-square-mile island? Raising these statues suggests just how prosperous the Rapa Nui were during the 500 years between 1000 and 1500. Obviously, the construction, transport, and maintenance of the great Moai structures would take an immense amount of manpower. But just how many people were living on Easter Island is subject to much debate. In a complex 2017 study that considered soil samples, weather research, maps, and population models, Dr. Cedric Pulston, head of the Anthropology Department at the University of California, Davis, estimated that Easter Island could have supported a maximum population of 17,500. This number coincided with the upper ends of previous estimates, but now scientific data backed them up. That number may explain the ability of the Rapa Nui to build and transport hundreds of gargantuan statues, but it gives rise to a whole host of new mysteries. Because suddenly, the Rapa Nui abandoned the ancestor cult and stopped building the Moai. So abrupt was the abandonment of statue building that archaeologists found stone tools littered throughout Ranuraraku, the volcano where they were built. It was as if the workers had immediately left the scene in the middle of several projects. 
One of these projects is the largest statue the Rapa Nui were ever known to build. That statue is known as El Gigante, a behemoth of a Moai, measuring at 72 feet tall and weighing 170 metric tons. Whether the Rapa Nui plan to move the great statue, we will never know. This has been one of Easter Island's most pervasive mysteries. Why the islanders stopped building these incredibly important statues mystified visitors for years. Something must have happened. Something so devastating that it not only immediately halted the construction of the Moai, but it forced the Rapa Nui to abandon both their belief system and their deity. For reasons not entirely understood, after about 1550, many of the statues were torn down by the Rapa Nui, and Easter Island saw the rise of a new cult, the Birdman cult. This would mark the transition to the late period. After the fall of the ancestor cult, the god Make Make rose to power. The power structure of the Rapa Nui changed during this time period. This signals some sort of disrepute with the leadership of the Rapa Nui. Perhaps the island had fallen on hard times, and the people, tired of these abuses, rebelled and overthrew the administration. Excavations also revealed that around this time period, there was a mysterious increase in the number of spear points found around the island, which has led some scholars to believe that the two clans on the island went to war. The theory holds that sometime between 1550 and 1680, after peacefully coexisting for many years, the clan known as the Short Ears finally rebelled against another clan known as the Long Ears and burned many of them to death on a pyre in an ancient ditch at Poike. And the system of power that they used to replace the old regime was strange indeed. But what it did was assured that there would be no such thing as absolute power. Each year, an elder of a tribe would nominate himself as leader of all the tribes on the island. Other tribes would also have champions. In order to honor the god of fertility, Make Make, the elder would then appoint a champion to dive down dangerous cliffs near the village of Arango to retrieve the first eggs of the season from the sacred birds Manutara who roosted on only one island. Hunting the egg could take weeks. The first champion to secure the egg would swim back and the elder would be crowned leader, Tangata Manu, or the Birdman, at least until the following year. This was an incredibly dangerous mission. Champions died frequently. Sharks, falls, and other competitors were huge risks. The Tangata Manu spent the year in solitude, but his tribe dominated the island during his rule. This tradition took place until the 1860s, when Christian missionaries finally outlawed the practice. On the surface, this shift in ideology suggests that the Rapa Nui were afraid of a centralized government holding too much power. By assuring that different leaders and tribes ruled from year to year, the people of Easter Island were preemptively avoiding any attempted power consolidation. But this rebellion and power shift begs the question of what drove them to such an extreme course of action. 
what pushed them so far as to overthrow a religious ideology that had been at the forefront of their culture for over 800 years. Conditions on Easter Island at this time must have been severe because what Europeans found when they landed on the island a few hundred years later was not the flourishing Moai building culture that decorated Easter Island in a unique and timeless way. No, what they found was a very different culture, a civilization in a state of limbo whose mysterious origins would stump researchers for hundreds of years. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back to Unexplained Mysteries. In the years since they first landed there in approximately 700 AD, the Rapa Nui transformed Easter Island. Though many of the specifics are shrouded in mystery, archeological evidence suggests a dramatic switch in the power structure of Easter Island around 1500 AD. When the Europeans began landing on Easter Island's shores, things got stickier. From the early 1500s until European contact, the Rapa Nui had embraced the Birdman cult. Why the Rapa Nui switched religions after 800 years and stopped building the Moai remains a mystery. The island the Europeans found was not one steeped in chaos, but had seemingly settled into a new way of being. The first European on Easter Island was the Dutch sailor Jacob Rohavain in 1722, who was leading an expedition to find Terra Australis, which was a theorized continent south of Australia. Rohavain arrived on Easter Island hundreds of years after the great age of construction of the Moai statues had ended. It was he who gave the island its modern name. Because he landed on the island on Easter Sunday, he called it Posh Island, which translates to Easter Island in English. His reports were basic observations of different parts of the island. Rohavain was an explorer, not an anthropologist, and his interest in the culture that was living there was minimal at best. Early impressions of the island were frequently contradictory. For example, the Rohavain expedition wrote, Quote, the reason why at first, when at a farther distance off, we had regarded the said Easter Island as being of a sandy nature, is that we mistook the parched up grass and hay or other scorched and charred brushwood for a soil of that arid nature, end quote. 
Rohavane's men had been led to believe that Easter Island was low and sandy, based on a report of an earlier sighting. Of course, Rohavane discovered quite the opposite. Quote, We found it not only sandy, but to the contrary exceedingly fruitful, producing bananas, potatoes, sugarcane, and many other kinds of fruits of the earth, although destitute of large trees and domestic animals. End quote. But there was little said about the large Moai sculptures, though when Rohavane landed on Easter Island, the so-called Long Ears seemed to venerate the statues more than other inhabitants of the island. The Rohavane expedition seemed perplexed by the island's statues and by the very inhabitants themselves. Instead of taking care with the islanders, the sailors were afraid and unsteady. This unfortunately manifested not as caution, but as aggression. The Rohavane expedition killed 10 to 12 islanders after a fight broke out. Fearing further repercussions, they left quickly to continue their hunt for Terra Australis. This sadly set the precedent for what would come to be centuries of destructive interference brought to Easter Island by the Europeans. Nearly 50 years later, in 1770, the Spanish Viceroy of Peru sent explorers to the island, where they spent four days exploring and came back with a population estimate of 3,000 natives a number vastly smaller than the maximum estimated 17,000. Perhaps something tragic did happen around 1500 that caused devastation to sweep over the remote civilization. These first two European expeditions also notably recorded that the islanders were a mixed population. Europeans therefore concluded that, in ancient times, there were different people speaking different languages and embracing different cultures, living together on the island. Could these have been our aforementioned long-ear and short-ear clans? Or could there have been two completely different ethnic groups on the island? Could there have been early South American settlers? And Polynesians? Was there truth to the old legend that Hotu Matua did not arrive on an uninhabited island? Even more strangely, merely four years later, in 1774, when Sir James Cook, the British navigator, arrived, he discovered that the native population had been decimated. Only 600 to 700 men and fewer than 30 women had been left alive. Cook also noted that several of the statues had been pulled down and previously cultivated lands had been abandoned. Some catastrophe must have struck the Rapa Nui. And that's when the wild theories and rumors began. Was there a disease that wiped out food supplies and sparked a famine? Did a previously dormant volcano grow active and reduce the formerly prosperous population to misery? Another theory blames ecocide, ecological suicide. It has been heavily speculated that the Rapa Nui employed a slash-and-burn technique for farming, which in turn ruined their ecosystem. In slash-and-burn farming, the natural vegetation is cut down and burned in order to clear land for farming. When the plot becomes infertile, the farmer simply moves to a new area and begins the process again. 
It is generally viewed as an extremely damaging method of farming and is unsustainable because eventually, since the farmers have not re-fertilized the soil from plots used earlier, they simply run out of new fertile land. In fact, Easter Island has been famously held up by scholars as an example and a warning of what happens when humans overpopulate and overuse their land. In Jared Diamond's Collapse, he argues that the islanders were victims of their own success. Whatever caused the decline noted by Captain Cook in 1774, by 1786, Jean-Francois de Gallo found 2,000 people on the island again. He attempted to help the islanders by giving them several farm animals and seeds, but the islanders simply ate the animals. Gallo only stayed on the island for one day, and because he left so quickly, his expedition did not attempt to understand what had happened just a few years earlier. Whatever caused the abrupt decline in population remained a mystery. When the Nancy, a ship from America, came in 1805, the captain simply kidnapped 22 men and women to colonize a station off the Chilean coast. All 22 jumped overboard, attempted to swim back to the island, and drowned. And that's when Europeans truly began to wreak havoc on the native population. Until the late 1700s, expeditions had been relatively short because they were fairly spaced out. The Rapa Nui had had time to recover from any illnesses brought by the European sailors. During the late 1700s and throughout the 1800s, however, slave raids from Peru drastically reduced the number of natives on the island, and an outbreak of smallpox quickly thereafter dealt a terrible blow. These visits from other societies resulted in near annihilation of the Rapa Nui people. By 1877, there were only 111 Rapa Nui people living. Catholic missionaries arrived around that time and began converting the islanders to Christianity, which was completed in the late 19th century. Because of those expeditions, future generations lost their links to the past. Nearly the entire population of Rapa Nui was destroyed, and with it, so much of their history. Fortunately, Foreigners visiting the island in subsequent decades were less interested in converting or enslaving the Rapa Nui. From the early 1900s on, anthropologists and archaeologists like Catherine Routledge, who arrived in 1914, tried to piece together the mysteries of Easter Island. Routledge, the first female archaeologist to work in Polynesia, and her husband William built their own yacht in England and set sail for Rapa Nui in 1913. When they arrived, Routledge began making her way through the prehistoric sites. Routledge's husband spent most of his time in Chile while she worked for the next three months on Easter Island. She catalogued both the statues and the people of Rapa Nui. She studied the archaeology and ethnology of the island. Routledge spent the bulk of her time learning the oral culture of the Rapa Nui, information that could possibly shed light on the statues or even the mysterious Kohau Rango Rango tablets, the wooden or stone tablets with undecipherable glyphs. 
Routledge wrote a book called The Mystery of Easter Island, The Story of an Expedition, but it was written for a very general readership, and her follow-up was rumored to be a more scientific evaluation of her findings. But it never came. It's a testament to Routledge's fortitude that she was able to excavate and research as much as she did while she battled severe mental illness. She appears to have had the symptoms of degenerating paranoid schizophrenia. As time went on, her illness became worse, and she and her husband became estranged. A public feud between the two was sparked over finances. At the end of the summer of 1928, William kidnapped Routledge and committed her to an asylum. One year later, he gave her logbooks to the Royal Geographical Society in London. When she died in 1935, William refused publication of Routledge's field notes and second book. What did Routledge uncover? Did she unlock the mysteries of the Rapa Nui? Could she have translated the Rongo Rongo tablets with their mysterious writings long lost to us? She may have gathered important information about the Rapa Nui, but her husband's refusal to edit and publish her notes mean that we may never fully know what she learned. Her own deteriorating mental health also calls into question the validity of some of those later notes. Some notes were later found, but they were so disorganized they were virtually unreadable. The bulk of those notes were drafts of her first book and thus not new information. Because of the damaging interaction between the missionaries of the 1800s and the Rapa Nui, we lost most of the ways we could have hoped to use to understand the ancient culture. Routledge's notes may have offered an illuminating glimpse into their past, but those too have been lost to us. What makes Easter Island so fascinating is that it acts as a type of anthropological experiment. It posits the question, what would happen to a civilization completely cut off from the world? Despite generating a hazy picture of the puzzle that is Easter Island, debate over the true fate of the island and its peoples has raged on year after year. There are so many questions. How did they get there? How did they build those giant monoliths? What is the meaning of their statues? And what of the Rapa Nui people themselves? Who lived on Easter Island? Was it inhabited before the arrival of the Rapa Nui? Are any of their legends perhaps true? Next week, we'll dive to the heart of these questions and discover not only what the great mysteries of Easter Island suggest about its history, but what that history suggests about all of humanity. Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next time, we'll continue our investigation of Easter Island. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler. 
is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Kate Hackett and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. 